Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and today I'm taking you on that weekly trip around the division. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. The Lions played the Packers, and I've already done two dives into that game, so I don't really have a lot left to add about the Packers at this point. Uh, Their offense finally ran into a team that was going to take advantage of their mistakes, and Joe Barry's predictable defense got exposed by the Lions coaching staff and players. The Packers fell to 2-2, and and the Lions now control the tiebreakers in the division. David Bakhtiari went on IR, and honestly, with the way he's been talking about the team for this entire calendar year, there's a pretty good chance he's played his last game for the Packers, if not the NFL entirely, uh, given his injury history. They got Christian Watson back, and love staring Watson down was a huge part of how the Lions defense was able to bottle up the Packers offense. Uh, This is the point where a new starter's play typically dips, as teams kind of get enough tape to see some tendencies, and then... It remains to be seen whether Jordan Love's going to be able to rebound from basically what just happened to him. It remains also remains to be seen whether the league can repeat what the Lions did. Uh, (laughs) But if they can, this could be a really long year for the Packers. On to the Vikings. I've said a few times that the Vikings can't continue their insane turnover pace. And it looks like I was right. Instead of their usual three... They turned the ball over twice. Uh, The first one was a 99-yard returned pick six, though, on the first drive. And the second was Cousins getting hit while he threw, and the ball popped up into the air, and a Panther came down. But the Panthers were not able to put the game away in the first half, only managing 13 points off of those, not even off of those two turnovers, just in total. And honestly, that would be the difference on the day. In the second half, the talent differential between this team, which frankly leans heavily toward the Vikings, kind of showed through. Uh, Because the Panthers only managed field goals and allowed the Vikings to stay close, the run game remained a factor on a day where Kirk Cousins clearly did not have it, whatever that is. Uh, Justin Jefferson kept being the Vikings' best player. He had as many touchdowns with two as any other player on the Vikings had receptions. That's how vital he was for this team today, or that day. But the Vikings in the second half got a pick six, returning the favor. Then Jefferson did what he does. I mean, he had 85 of the Vikings, 139 yards in the air. Alexander Madison also had his best outing of the season with 95 yards on 17 carries for a 5.6 average, which is, if I recall correctly, almost two higher than his season average. Uh, (laughs) And that helped the Vikings kill the clock and close out the game after they got the lead back. Uh, This was a battle of 0-3 teams, but the Vikings were clearly the better squad in terms of their talent on the field. The Vikings defense had Bryce Young confused and under pressure all day, but the key to this victory was their run defense. Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders averaged 2.9 and 1.5 yards per carry, respectively. And those aren't numbers that can be saved by semantics and context stats like success rate. Carolina ran the ball 31 times despite their complete lack of success. Like, it's just clear that at this point, 
they can't just lean on first overall pick Bryce Young. That's not an option. Uh, Harrison Smith iced the game with a blitz off the edge, and that was his third sack of the day. That's a safety with three sacks. That tells you the Vikings saw something, and what they saw might just have been that Iki Ekwanu isn't very good and can't handle speed rushes at all. Uh, he barely touched Smith. <laughs> uh, but I'll go over that in a few days when I preview the Panthers' offense, because that's the Lions' next opponent. Bottom line, the Vikings won the game, but they do still remain a minus eight on the season in terms of turnovers, and a losing that by two on average isn't really going to pull them out of the tailspin that they've started. Again, this was another 0-3 team that they were playing, so the bar to defeat them was not necessarily that high. If the Vikings don't stop turning the ball over at the rate that they've been doing, they're not going to finish this season well at all. Self-inflicted wounds have been their Achilles heel. Two plays before their opening drive pick six, Justin Jefferson had what would have been his first of three touchdown receptions called back on a penalty. Without this insane number of turnovers, the Vikings would be 3-1 and one right now and right up at the top of the division with the Lions, but they are turning the ball over. They did lose those games. What's done is done. They showed Sunday that they were the only 0-3 team that didn't deserve that record. I've been saying for weeks that I think the Vikings are actually the second best team in the division. I still think that's true. I think by the end of the season, that is how it's going to play out. Now let's talk about the Bears. The heartbreaking story of the Chicago Bears in week four. You hate to see it. Such a lovely group of fans. Anyway, the long and the short of this is that Justin Fields showed up to play on Sunday for what seemed like the first time all season, and then when it mattered, the coaching staff took the ball out of his hands because he was just obsessed with giving it to the other team. Unfortunately, to do that, they kind of had to do exactly what they struggled with offensively all year, and so the Bears lost again, 0-4, sole possession of last place in the NFC North. So sad. Uh, this week, the Bears were playing the also winless Denver Broncos, and in a slight digression, the Broncos are the poster children for why building through the defense is not the way to go in the NFL. Going into last year, they were regarded as one of the best defenses in the NFL, one coaching staff change, and this defense can't stop the worst offense in the NFL, and they've given up almost 100 points in the last two weeks. The Bears made this a close one, and Fields showed us why he was drafted where he was before he showed us the specific ways in which he has not lived up to that draft slot as of yet. Like the Bears, up until this game, have not been running plays that fit Justin Fields' skill set. They have not really been calling plays that fit any of their players' skill sets, truthfully. On the offense, we expected an RPO machine, basically, with Fields running the ball often and uh, getting the ball deep to DJ Moore, making just big play after big play. If they were successful, that's what they would have been doing. We had had none of that through three weeks. Uh, <laughs> but someday we got that for half a game. Uh, the Bears didn't abandon pocket passing completely. Uh, but they did get Fields rolling out on play action and bootlegs a lot more. And he showed that if you just help him a little bit schematically, he can be really dangerous. 
Like he went 28 of 35 for 335 yards with four touchdowns and one interception. At halftime, he had completed 15 of his 16 passes, and the only incompletion on the day to that point was a Hail Mary as the clock ran out of the second quarter. And while his like 13 for 19 on the second half isn't nearly as impressive, that's not bad. Like, that's, that's dealable quarterbacking right there. Whatever you have to do to get that is what you should have been doing all year. It's what you need to do every week. We haven't been seeing the play action boots that lead to like jump throws in the end zone before this week. And the running game did it its part pretty well also outside of Justin Fields. Khalil Herbert put up 103 on 18 carries. That's good. That's great. Again, it's against the Broncos who are now failing to play defense a year out from having a defensive coordinator who had them playing so well he got a head coaching interviews. But in that running game, Fields only really added 25 yards on four carries, uh, most of which came from a single run in the fourth quarter to extend a drive. But when their run blocking is good for the running backs, or there's a receiver who has been schemed open, he doesn't have to run to be effective. Like they use the threat of him as a runner by getting him out on the move and stressing linebackers who have the choice of watching Fields run for a first down or abandoning their coverage responsibilities. And it's a lot easier to put linebackers in that conflict when your running game is working and you're working on third and three, as opposed to when it is not working and you're working on third and 10, where a linebacker can just stay in his coverage responsibility until Fields crosses the line and then come up and get him before he makes it to the sticks. So he gets a lot of yardage, but doesn't get a lot of results. But the most important difference between this week and other weeks is that the Bears were facing another legitimately terrible team. I can't stress that enough that I think this is probably a one-week blip of positivity as opposed to the Bears figuring it out. Like, the Bears took their feet off the gas when they were up 28-7 to with just over four minutes left to play in the third quarter. By the beginning of the fourth quarter, they were only up 28-14. And the veneer that they might not be awful slipped off completely. The glue melted. That fake wood just popped right off them. Uh, they went from blitzing and pressuring Russell Wilson to playing this passive BS cover two defense. And I can tell you how to beat that. Which means it's not going to stop Sean Payton. <laughs> and it didn't. Uh, Fields also like just let the ball slip out of his hand. When he had some like a surprising amount of pressure on a play action pass, uh, which resulted in a scoop and score for the Broncos, and that that also helped them get back into the game. Uh, on their next drive, they had a holding call downfield on a swing pass that went for good yardage. Uh, then a drop from the back on a checkdown pass that hit him in the hands. Then a false start, and then Justin Fields had that one big run I was talking about, where he erased all of the team's mistakes to that point and reset the drive. And that is the superpower you have with Justin Fields if you give him opportunities to use it. And then the Bears handed the ball off for what felt like ten straight plays, including a fourth and one that they decided to go for rather than kicking a 35-yard field goal to take the lead. And I get it. In terms of analytics, it probably says you should go for that. But you take the lead, man. 
like how many times do we have to watch them go for things like this and have it blow up in their face? And unlike last week where the chargers lucked out and the Vikings couldn't finish them off uh, <laughs> this week, well, the Broncos put together a drive, kicked a field goal and won the game. Of course, that's not the entire story, but if you're going forward on fourth and one, like the Eagles have shown us a way to do this that literally cannot be stopped. You have the best running quarterback in the league at your disposal to run that play. Why are the Bears not running that play? Like it just, it doesn't make any damn sense that they just refuse to do this. Like it's, it's just been continuous this entire season. Like they're just never running the plays that work that have been shown to work. Modern football is not occurring in Chicago, even on this day. Like the, the Broncos immediately went down and kicked a field goal, unconcerned about how much time was left on the clock. Now, granted, they didn't have a fourth and one situation. It was a lot longer than that, but they just went down, took the lead with two minutes to go. Good spot to be in. You just have to make a stop. And then they made a stop. Justin Fields threw his only pick of the day on a route he clearly expected the tight end to do something other than what he did. <laughs> it's a timing play. Their timing was off. And it wasn't some new free agent pickup. Like, this wasn't Bobby Tanyan, Bobby T, according to Aaron Rodgers a couple years ago. It was, uh, it was Cole Komet, who's been with the Bears for Fields' entire career as the starting tight end. Uh, but on that play, they were not on, somehow not on the same page on a play that should have been repped in practice a hundred thousand times over the course of the last four years. And like I told you last week, the staff has nobody on it that can come in and take this offense over. Nobody has called plays above the high school level on this entire offensive staff. So this is probably going to be their best game of the year. And it still wasn't enough to win. Because the defense that is an unending nightmare that their head coach is supposed to be a specialist in just isn't good enough. The Bears are 0-4, and that's exactly the record they've earned. And you know what the best part about all of this is? Those four teams I talked about throughout the course of this, other than like just leaving Green Bay out of it, the other four teams are a combined two and 14 right now. And that's six of the Lions, 13 games left on this season. Like the Royals show is the quarter post review where I'll go over kind of the, the ins and outs and look at what the Lions have done approximately one quarter of the way through the season. Like I've always said, four games in is where you have a pretty good picture of who everyone is. And then I'm going to finish off the week with my offensive and defensive previews of the Lions next opponents, the currently winless after being beaten by the Vikings, Carolina Panthers. See you tomorrow. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes. You've had enough of that shit.